your host of Wild and Rooted. Happy April. I can't believe spring is here and how incredible this weather has been. Everything is starting to bloom and it's just gorgeous out. You know, speaking of seasons, I have been looking forward to sharing this interview with Marshall Seedorf since visiting with him in the fall. Marshall is the VP of sales for Force of Nature, which is a regenerative focused meat company that works with different farms and ranches to provide nutrient rich food, that not only feeds consumers, but the environment as well. And I was lucky enough to meet with Marshall at Rome Ranch, which is actually owned by two of the three co-founders of Force of Nature, Taylor and Katie. They specialize in raising grass-fed and free-range bison, turkey, chicken, and ducks year-round. It really was incredible to see and photograph the bison herd and learn all about their regenerative practices. And, you know, all I have to say is if you aren't hungry now before listening to this episode, you most likely will be craving a bison burger afterwards. So consider yourself forewarned. And, you know, if you are hungry now, best of luck to (laughs) you. But regardless, I hope you all enjoy this episode. So, Rome Ranch, um, thank you for joining us today, Marshall. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. We are currently sitting out, um, what is it, Cave Creek? Yep, Cave Creek under a pretty beautiful little patch of live oak trees looking at the caves the creek are named for. Yeah. Nice little limestone cliff with some cactuses, pears growing out of them, and nice little bluff up there and it's a beautiful day in november in texas oh my god i couldn't ask for better weather it's clear skies we've already taken a, a ride around and that's pretty great um can you talk a little bit about what it is that rome ranch you know for those who are not familiar um with what goes on out here what it's known for Sure. So Rome Ranch is a multi-species regenerative ranch. Uh, To give a little bit of the history of Rome Ranch, talk about the owners of the ranch, Taylor and Katie. They were founders of a company called Epic Bar or Epic Provisions, which I think a lot of folks now Mm. are familiar with. Uh, Just about every grocery store carries something from Epic. Uh, Meat bars, meat snacks of all types, jerkies, tallows, pork rinds, all kinds of cool stuff, but uh, all regeneratively sourced meat products. And they started that company back in 2013, built that business successfully, and ultimately sold it to General Mills with the idea that they were going to continue to scale it uh, and ultimately get into fresh and frozen meat and continue to build this regenerative mission-based company. Um, after they sold Epic to General Mills, they had the opportunity to buy Rome Ranch, uh, which initially was 450 acres out here in the Texas Hill Country, kind of close to Fredericksburg, um, and really bring what they had done with Epic on a sourcing side to life uh, in their own on their own ranch under their own management um, and use bison as kind of the keystone species of the ranch uh, to regenerate what was when they bought it a highly 
degenerated property. Mm -hmm. I mean, this property was on the market for a long time. Um, the, the seller was quite honestly selling it out of necessity. They mm -hmm. row cropped and industrially cropped uh, the majority of this property essentially to and turned it into a wasteland through desertification, you know, over tilling, over fertilizing, over spraying for years uh, and decades. And um, they bought it. They saw it as a perfect opportunity to take something that was really, you know, degenerated and through their management practices kind of rebuild uh, and regenerate the soil, you know, regenerate the property from the ground up, if you will, and and bring these animals in and manage it you know, as a regenerative ranch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. So what would you say, why regenerative farming for them? You know, obviously their background is with their epic bars and that sort of thing, but what really got them into it, you know? Yeah, their story is interesting. So they started before Epic, they started a company called Thunderbird. Okay. And Thunderbird was a vegan um, bar. It was a vegan kind of health bar, kind of energy bar mm -hmm. made from fig and other fruits and, and nuts. Um, and they were athletes, you know, they were runners, triathletes, competing in Ironman type races mm -hmm. and uh, using that Thunderbird as bar as a, you know, kind of premium source of energy and nutrition. And they had some struggles with their vegan lifestyle. I mean, I think they were conflicted in that, you know, they were trying to live this high energy, high output performance based lifestyle, mm -hmm. but they weren't getting the nutrition they needed to support it. And you know, I think they made the choice to do the vegan thing for a lot of reasons, but I think environmental concerns and uh, treatment of animals was a huge piece of it. And you know, through a, a lack of or a dip in nutrition and performance, you know, Katie and Taylor sought out some medical help and said, hey, you know, what's happening? You know, yeah. what's happening to my body? I don't feel right. I'm not competing at the level I used to. And they basically came to the realization through testing and conversation with folks that, that knew about it that, you know, you guys really need... Uh, protein and, and animal protein as a part of your diet to do what you're trying to do. And so the genesis for Epic was, well, hey, if we're going to go back to eating meat, let's let's eat the right type of meat. Let's eat meat that aligns with our values. Uh, and they sought that out and they discovered regenerative agriculture. They discovered some folks who are really pioneering regenerative and regeneratively raised meats, uh, sought out relationships with them. And it kind of naturally just, you know, fell into creating epic right yeah and regenerative farming it's not necessarily something that's a popular known term amongst consumers you know it is something that's very important but your average consumer when they go into the grocery store um they aren't as knowledgeable about what that actually means and what you're putting into your body based upon the meat that you're picking off the shelves so what y'all are doing out here is incredibly important to sustaining that healthy lifestyle and so could you speak to i guess a little bit more about and when you are working with regenerative farming what that actually means to someone who doesn't understand that process and what it looks like sure so i think just starting you know thirty thousand foot perspective it's safe to say from where i stand that regenerative is better for not only the animal they, they live you know live out their best life mm -hmm. on grass on pasture expressing their natural you know instincts and capabilities it's better for the rancher and the rural community and mm -hmm. that it supports them and they're able to sell a, a finished good at a premium to the market um, it's better for the consumer because you're getting a higher quality 
uh, protein <laughs> product that was raised, you know, respectfully and not stressed and, you know, was able to consume a natural diet. Um, and so it's, it's a higher quality product all the way around. I would say it is very deceiving and confusing for folks, especially within meat. When you go to mm -hmm. buy meat at the grocery store, there's, you know, a million different claims. There's right. know, the ratings. Fed, you know, when things say they're organic and there is a lot of misconception because the rules and who monitors those correctly, it's very lenient. Is that? I wouldn't say it's lenient, but there's definitely some deception in how things okay. are labeled. I mean, and marketed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if you just look at beef, right, the way things are marketed as a, you know, choice or, you know, different, different grading, it doesn't have anything mm -hmm. to do with the way the animals raised. It's just a grade of what the meat quality is deemed right. to be by an inspector. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's different ways in which meat is marketed and which, you know, consumers, you know, kind of prioritize. And uh, for us, regenerative really is the gold standard because it takes mm -hmm. in all of those stakeholders, including the animal, including the farmer, the rancher. Um, and I mean, I see it as, you know, one of the systems that has the potential to fix a lot of the problems that are facing our society, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's soil erosion, uh, environmental problems, or even personal health problems. Mm -hmm. um, looking at regeneratively sourced products, I think can answer a lot of those, you know, concerns that we have. So I guess backing up, why do you think or, or know it's not as popular of a technique what's you know why aren't more people doing this on a bigger scale um you know obviously big ag is a huge topic um and how things are, are grown and sold in the grocery store and you know why wouldn't more people want to do things regeneratively it's a good question it's kind of a loaded question yeah. there's, a, there's yeah. a lot of different ways to come at it and i think the first is just you know we as humans have thought in a lot of different aspects of life that we can kind of invent or reinvent a way to do things that's better than the way mother nature had mm -hmm. kind of designed it right you know we think that through a certain chemical application or mechanical application we can create a more efficient more effective system and while that may be possible in the short term, I think in the long term, those mechanical and chemical inputs are deteriorating the, the root of the system, which is the soil. Right. And regenerative is a soil-based system of management where you're, you're basically, you're looking at the land and the health of the soil as the crux of your operation. If you don't have healthy soil and you're not regenerating healthy soil, then you're failing at practicing regenerative agriculture. And so when you look at why people aren't doing it, there's kind of a you know one the industry has gone so far away from you know family style of management into mm -hmm. that industrial system that it's almost trained people to think that that's the only way it can be done it's the best way it can be done mm -hmm. and you've got to buy all the tools and all the fertilizer and all the chemicals and that's what it takes to be a farmer yeah and i think it, it gets ingrained culturally in those communities and it's really hard to kind of change the school of thinking um, especially when that's the style of management being taught at most universities. Exactly. Um, I, I will say in fairness to those folks, you know, when you just make a decision to go from conventional back to regenerative, there's often a, a period of a couple of years where you're going to actually produce less food mm -hmm. because your land has been so addicted to those chemical inputs. You have to de detoxify it, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's like an addict, right? Yeah. It's addicted to the chemicals that it now needs because the soil has been degenerated and, you know, it needs those chemical inputs to produce the outputs that those, you know, human managers are used to. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you're making a decision to switch, it's hard to, to think 
think you know and honestly most of the farmers can't afford to yeah. have two or yeah. three years of, of lost productivity yeah. um, so I think that's part of it I think the cultural piece is huge I think you know oftentimes regenerative does require more human engagement human interaction human management mm-hmm. um, but I think in the long run you save because you're not spending as much on mechanical and chemical inputs exactly yeah it is actually a more cost effective in the long run that's the goal yep and I think as you look at how you can support rural communities and and you know ranchers and farmers that human input is important right because it's job providing mm-hmm. instead of having someone sitting on a tractor for 12 hours a day mm-hmm. you can have three people who are actively moving fences and managing animals and, and involved and that's a lifestyle that you can support uh, and a career that you can support under this regenerative system that would be going to diesel fuel and Mm -hmm. chemicals under a conventional system um and it's about respect i think it's respect for the land respect for the animal that you are consuming and and knowing the whole process of its life and and i know that's a really big thing here is especially when y'all go to harvest you know seeing the full cycle and the full picture and educating people on that Totally. And I, and just to pause real quick, I think a lot of folks who manage their land conventionally still have respect and, absolutely, you know, they, in their minds, they're doing the best job that they can mm-hmm. and that they, you know, envision that they can do for their land. But yeah, I mean, ultimately what you said is exactly right. You know, regenerative is about respecting the animal, you know, holistically managing your herd and your, the species that you're managing for on a ranch to give them the best life. And it's a, you know you talked about start to think about what system am i supporting when i buy this meat versus that meat um and it's it's really important and i think it's kind of a lost piece of our culture and who we are as a civilization that is you almost forget what it means to be human when you forget what it means to have this relationship with animals that's more direct and at least understanding yeah whether it's animals or or produce that you pick out you know when you're going grocery shopping you don't actually know what that produce grew you know whether it was growing in the dirt whether it was growing on a tree a lot of people don't know how the effort that it takes and i think there's just a lack of you know understanding that because we live in a society where things are just always available and they're there but they're not necessarily things that are you know grown here or are localized you know they're coming from other countries or wherever and that's wonderful um to always have those fresh foods when you want them you know but i think it's the understanding of what is a natural occurrence and a cycle of an animal and the cycle of a fruit tree or something like that you know yeah i think people not understanding is a is a great thing to talk about um you know force of nature is the meat company that taylor and katie and and another founder robbie who's our ceo founded uh, based on the principles that we focused here at, at Rome Ranch, this regenerative agriculture model. And so mm-hmm. we built a national meat brand behind Force of Nature to sell regenerative meat from ranches like Rome Ranch all over the country and all over the world. And, you know, our, our meat is at a, comes at a premium cost to the consumer because, you know, it's a premium product. And our CEO makes this point all the time, but you know people will point out that our our product product is expensive but when you compare the cost per ounce of our you know some of our most premium you know our bison products it costs less per ounce than a hershey bar oh wow and you look at the nutrition (laughs) and the vitamins and minerals and the fact that that was a living animal that had a life 
it's it, the value perception in our society is crazy to think about it like that well it's like when you think about how much you're willing to go spend on a cup of coffee from a chain you know coffee place or wherever you get your coffee but then you know the price per cup of making it at home and it's it's crazy we forget how that actually ends up yeah six dollars for a latte is yeah. okay but four dollars for a pack of ground beef is Isn't just that, unacceptable exactly. <laughs> you know that's a piece of a living animal yeah we don't think it twice about some things i mean it's it's really phenomenal how yeah. that works it's all that marketing you know <laughs> gotta get that candy and the coffee i'm number one fan when it comes to coffee oh, i love my i love me some coffee oh yeah it's it's the liquid gold in the morning so so how did you get your start with force of nature i know you have an athletic and nutrition background um but how did you become a part of this yeah so my background um is interesting i I was an athlete in college. I played baseball and swam in college. You know, at the time I thought I wanted to continue, you know, once I post athletic career, I wanted to continue in sports and be a sports agent. Mm -hmm. So I went as far as getting a master's degree in sports management, thinking that was the best track to, to help me do that. And I was living in Washington DC at the time. You know, I had my first kind of real internship in the sports business and quickly realized things that should have been obvious, things like, hey to, to have a career in this industry you're gonna have to live in a big city which mm -hmm. i did not want to do mm -hmm. um the lifestyle was just not what i wanted for myself and i quickly realized that with this internship and kind of had a, a pause and and you know hey i need to reset and do something different and at the time i'd actually been working for chipotle oh, wow. um on their marketing team kind of an internship deal as well and uh -huh. They were doing some really cool projects with Joel Salatin of Polly's Face Farms, which is a regenerative um, ranch in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really interesting to me what they were doing, how they were talking about meat, how they were prioritizing different things. And um, it just kind of opened my eyes. You know, I'd come from a background of someone who had been a hunter my whole life. I was always concerned about where meat come from, came from. I think that's a natural progression when you're a hunter. You, mm -hmm. When you kill an animal and you end up cutting it up and feeding it to your you know family and friends you start to think a lot more about when that you know and the meat from that animal runs out and you got to go back to buying it from the store it's like well where did this come from exactly you know what's the system behind this yeah. i know where my deer came from yeah and what did that animal eat and what am i putting in my body now yeah so long story short i, I kind of had a moment where i was like hey I'm, I'm getting out of sports and i'm gonna get into food this is <laughs> way more interesting to me and so uh, I moved to Austin, um, was dating a girl who's now my wife. Um, you know, we met through swimming, both athletic backgrounds, both mm -hmm. concerned about healthy food and fueling our bodies effectively. And so I got into the natural foods industry. I uh, was in natural foods for a few years and kind of, you know, stumbled into meeting the folks at Epic Bar and was just really interested in what they were doing and kind of told them, hey, this is really exciting to me what you guys are doing in the meat industry. I'd really like to be a part of it. And yeah. They kind of gave me the the hint that something like force of nature might be coming and you know when they decided to go ahead and move full steam and launch force of nature we we connected the dots and i came on and kind of helped start the start the business about two and a half years ago and mm -hmm. it's been an awesome ride i mean the experiences i've had you know as someone who's grown up just fascinated with bison i think I think I told you earlier, but my third word was buckabo. I was trying to say buffalo. <laughs> and I don't even know how that's possible for a kid that grew up in Georgia to be right? that interested yeah. in, in buffalo. It was in the cards. Yeah, but I mean, the experiences I've had, you know, working out here at Rome and helping, um, you know, work with the animals out here and be a part of the guided hunt program that they have out here has just mm -hmm. been incredibly rewarding. And visiting our suppliers' ranches, I've, you know, just learned so much about the animal, about the, the management styles. 
the the potential that regenerative has to to right a lot of the challenges that we face as a society um you know i think the most eye-opening thing that i've learned since i started this journey into learning more about regenerative was that um United Nations and a collection of other groups have done a bunch of studies about world food production. Yeah. And they look at soil health around the world and they look at food production and, and you know, efficiencies and exports and imports and how food is produced and moves around the world. And they mm -hmm. basically said, hey, as a global society, if we continue at this pace to conventionally manage land that's based on mechanical and, and chemical inputs, mm -hmm. we're degrading soil to the point that we are saying we are concerned that in 60 years, we're not going to have the capacity to feed the future human population of the world mm -hmm. and so as someone with kids and you know hopefully someday grandkids mm -hmm. you know 60 years isn't that far away no, it's I not mean, it's still part of your lifetime <laughs> that's kind of a slap in the face moment for me it's like wow you know this is a, a problem this isn't just like a nice to have this is a nice thing that you know if people have expendable income it's great to support it's like this is a real thing that people all walks of life should be concerned and learning more about because running out of food is well, worst I, case scenario. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> here as Texans, we kind of came across that through, you know, also the pandemic, the supply chain there. But then the freeze that we had in February, a lot of people went without for a week, you know. And so I think people are now ears are perked and paying attention or understanding the logistics that goes behind feeding the world and those trucks needing to be where they need to be and airplanes coming in that sort of thing so and we, i think we only got a sneak peek of how quickly things can fall apart if uh -huh. people don't have clean water and clean food mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and and being also self-sustaining is of course you know ideal that would be a gold standard you know is to have that but that's not the world that we live in for majority of people um but so understanding how important it is to support your local farmers and ranchers and what they can provide for you and your communities. Absolutely. I think the best thing anybody could do, whether you live in a city or a suburban area, rural areas, get to know, get to know ranchers within a hundred miles of your house, get to know farmers within a hundred miles of your house, establish a relationship, go out and see it, take your family out there <laughs> um, and establish that direct relationship with those folks. Um, because one, you might learn a lot about folks that live a different lifestyle. And two, you're able to connect with your food and understand where it comes from and be a part of that. And I think on a national scale, that's really what we're trying to do with Force of Nature. I mean, one of our, our taglines, uh, kind of a mission statement for us, if you will, is reclaim the legacy of meat. And it's all about reconnecting consumers with how their food's produced, where it comes from, you know, what the, the systems are behind that choice that you're making when you decide to purchase something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a worthwhile cause. You started to see any of those effects of it growing um you know you all have a wonderful community and following and your presence um is known but on a scale what were we saying how what's the percentage of regenerative farms versus everyone else you said maybe like two percent yeah like it's a, a tiny, couple, tiny couple percent. percent of the total yeah. u.s market yeah so growing that is key but i guess for y'all why 
bison you know for for most people when they think meat they're thinking they're gonna go um get hamburger meat or you know some sort of chicken that sort of thing when they go to the grocery store bison might not be on the top of everyone's radar mm -hmm. um but it is you know they've been here for way longer than we have yeah so at force of nature we work with both beef and bison producers and, and a, a a number of other proteins as well here at rome ranch the keystone species on this ranch is bison mm -hmm. uh, there's about 160 animals in the herd right now and i think the reason for for katie and taylor here at this ranch for bison is that they looked at this ecosystem and bison was the keystone species mm -hmm. you know a couple hundred years ago when settlers arrived there would have been 40 to 60 million bison stretched out from nearly coast to coast you know mm -hmm. concentrated in the central u.s up and down the great plains but stretching from northern mexico up into canada there would have been millions and millions of bison and that was the keystone species that this ecosystem evolved with um, and so when you look at bringing that species back to participate in this ecosystem again and start to regenerate these grasslands and the soil it, it just kind of paints the ultimate picture of not only what this was but what it could be mm -hmm. so i guess back to basics i guess thinking in my mind i'm such a visual person if you were to say you know the whole cycle of how the bison work with the land and when we were looking at some of them you had one of the bulls that had a you know a little bird hanging out on top of them but how as an ecosystem it all works together and you know the bison they feed um, into the soil and then it replenishes you move them around can you speak a little bit more to that life cycle and how that works so historically that 40 to 60 million bison that would have been in the central u.s they would have been they're a herd animal they have mm -hmm. a very strong herd instinct for protection purposes i think mainly you know they've been preyed on by wolves bears mountain lions coyotes all types of predator species um, as a part of their life cycle and so that herd instinct helped protect them the weaker animals would generally get pushed out of the herd and mm -hmm. predated on and the herd was it was strength in number and the way those animals moved around the, the landscape naturally being pushed by predators you know they'd be high density grazing an area uh, but then quickly moving on, you know, naturally looking for, for new forage, but also being pushed by those predators. And they're depositing in that process huge amounts of nutrients. Yeah. Um, and when they move on, they may not come back to that same area for months uh, or even years historically. And so those nutrients have, a have time to, to penetrate the soil, to regenerate and stimulate, you know, grass growth and, and that grass and that soil flourishes because of their impact. And the way we manage the animals out here, we're constantly moving them, trying to mimic that system that nature created. Mm -hmm. So mob grazing, you know, I think today they're in a pasture that's about five acres. There's 160 bison in there. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of animals yeah. for five acres. But they're in there for a day at a time. Uh, we move the electric fence and into a new pasture. We open the gate and they happily move into the next, you know, three, five, six, seven acres that they're going to because they know there's greener grass over there. Mm -hmm. We've kind of trained them. It's low stress. They move in there and then we do the same thing. We let that pasture rest, you know, depending on the pasture, depending on the rainfall, it might be three to six months before they come back through there. Oh, wow. Um, that's really cool it's um you know i think people forget that it is about the dirt you know everything starts with the dirt and having those key components 
there to feed your livestock and whatnot. And you were showing me, pointing out um, one of the tools that y'all have um, for the soil that you use. Can you speak to, I guess, what you would call that? Is it, you, you, it's a no-till till, basically. Is yeah, that right? it's called a no-till drill. Okay. Um, it's popular in, in some areas of the country, but still kind of gaining traction in others. And what it does is it basically allows you to seed in crops without disturbing the soil and without disturbing what's currently growing in the soil and so mm. you know when you're a rancher and you're doing especially regenerative ranching you're grass feeding grass finishing animals i mean you're honestly a grass farmer first mm -hmm. i mean obviously care for your animals and and a plan for the animals is important but really you're you're working from the soil up to go grow products to sustain your animals and so what that no-till drill does is it allows you to intercede pasture with, you know, right now we're going into the cool season. So planting a bunch of cool season crops mm -hmm. uh, as these warm season grasses and crops kind of start to, you know, end their life cycle. Um, you know, the regenerative system, one of the five principles of regenerative is to limit or remove soil disturbance. You know, soil is an ecosystem in and of itself that we're only beginning to understand. Mm -hmm. And the till, what it does is it basically turns that soil over, exposes it to sun and wind and rain, uh, which are all basically life ending for that ecosystem. Yeah, that stresses exists. it out. Mm. Yeah, and then in the summer in Texas, you know, basically nukes it in the sun and yeah. then it rains and it all runs off and you lose your topsoil, which we've discussed is the basis of all life. Yeah. Um, and so that no-till drill is really crucial to be able to continue to, you know, invest in your in your soil and your resources and your pasture and, and plant for the future, but not disturb what you've already created and that life-giving resource that you have. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, you know, incredible to see that it is a, when you think about the entire production that y'all have out here, it is quite simple, I would say. You know, it's going back to what you said is how it used to be and and what we can do to get back to a living a simpler way of life and growing and more extraordinary amount your output can be higher um without all of these extra things so i guess you know what are y'all's biggest challenges or what have you seen that you've faced you know whether it's a marketing standpoint educating people or just you know out here on the ranch itself hmm good question i think generally price is something that we hear a lot i mean i think of it from my background right i run the sales team for force of nature and so you know when i talk to retailers or talk to consumers at retail they often ask questions about you know price in comparison to products produced in the commodity market mm -hmm. i think we talked about that the hershey's bar comparison yeah. is a good one of kind yeah. of a wake-up call to, to people about the cost of of food um so we hear that but i think you know that's something that when people understand they make that reconnection to the production process and the animal's life you know they understand they're willing to invest in that they're willing to support that system i'd say the other questions we get a lot are from folks kind of dancing around maybe interested in making the the leap to regenerative maybe they have a piece of land or maybe mm -hmm. their family ranches mm -hmm. and they're trying to understand you know those barriers to entry and you know we talked about it often could be a couple of years of an investment in an operation where you might you might lose profitability yeah um for a couple of years and that's an investment in the long term but that's a hard investment for people to make and so we get a lot of questions about that yeah it's not a reality for people you know it's not something that they could could do because farming itself you know i mean 
it's a it's a demanding job already ranching demanding job um you know and adding on top of that the financial pressure of you never know what mother nature is going to do and what curveballs are going to be thrown at you uh, uh, real quick yeah. one other question we get that's really simple that maybe would help the listeners is just what is regenerative agriculture yeah you know it's quickly it's it's building momentum i mean whole foods listed regenerative as the number one trend in food in 2020 oh wow but I think there's a lot of people, I mean, if you just went into a conventional grocery store and asked 100 people, my guess is 20 people have heard of it, three people could tell you right. a good description <laughs> of what it is. And so, you know, in practice, like I think, like we've talked about, it's a soil-based system of management, but there's five key principles of regenerative that are important to know. And I'll yeah. go through them really quick. Yeah. Um, number one, reducing soil disturbance. We talked about that, mm -hmm. you know, removing that tilling process that's mm -hmm. so destructive to, to life underneath the ground. Uh, number two, covering the soil. Mm -hmm. And that's a year round, you know, that litter that lives on top of soil, sticks, leaves. They're necessary. It's necessary. It protects the soil. It insulates yeah. it from heat, cold, sunlight, rain, all of those things. That's mm -hmm. very important. Uh, number three, uh, ensuring living roots year round. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in Texas, it's easier to think about because here it doesn't get cold enough where you can have warm season and cool season growing and you see green things year round. Um, you know, in other parts of the country where it does get colder, the living roots are the important component mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these a lot of these perennial grasses and other, you know, plant species may look dormant to us above the surf soil surface in the wintertime. But in fact, those roots are alive and well and growing throughout the winter and fuel of a system that then you know uses that springtime warmth and moisture to really explode into next year's growth uh, and that below the soil eco ecosystem those roots are an important piece of that moving nutrients around and engaging with soil life um, Number four is biodiversity. You know, we talked about that no-till drill. Mm -hmm. you know, one of the reasons we do that is to, to seed in diversity. You know, a lot of those uh, times we'll be putting in eight to 12 yeah, different so you're, crops. You're saying there's so many different types of seeds that y'all are putting out. Yeah, and from a, uh, an animal production standpoint, right? Having an animal with a varied diet is very advantageous. They're getting different minerals, different mm -hmm. vitamins, different protein levels from different plants. Um, and so from animal production, it's almost a no-brainer. But when you look at soil health nowhere in nature does a monoculture exist right you know what we humans think of a pretty you know cornfield or something that's just single crop you know for miles and miles and pretty little lines i've never seen that anywhere in nature i've done a lot of hiking yeah. all over the place yeah. never seen it <laughs> uh, you to all be working together you know we all have the benefits that we can bring to the table and same thing goes in nature totally and it feeds on that diversity uh, and the final one and the one we kind of hang on our hat on here at Rome, but then also with Force of Nature more broadly is animal impact. Mm -hmm. You know, animals are a critically important piece of the ecosystem. Um, and I think, you know, that mission statement, reclaim the legacy of meat, that comes from a place of feeling like meat is under attack. Yeah. You know, there's, there's people out there, companies out there marketing this message that meat is bad, animal production is bad, don't eat meat. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of a throwing the baby out with the bathwater type of solution. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of folks doing meat production that is actually the most, call it sustainable, but truly regenerative model of producing food for humans. Mm -hmm. And animals were such a natural part of this ecosystem that the ecosystem is what it is because of animals. It won't sustain without them. Yeah, and so ignoring that piece of the equation is doing a huge disservice to Mother Nature. And so when you look at um, regenerative 
food production of all types, including crop production, animals are an important piece, whether that's managing for wildlife mm -hmm. to come on that property and use it as a resource or livestock being moved through after crops are harvested. And there's a number of different ways to look at it, but it's a crucially important piece of the puzzle. So I guess here's a, I hate to say a loaded question, but how do you see, or do you see a transition into big ag using these practices? You know, cause you're talking about how 60 years from now we could you know be facing a food crisis um when it comes to growing food for the, the world what do you see big agriculture is you know the key component there is it that we have more small farmer farms and ranches that are supplying the local communities versus moving food you know across our nation or do you see big ag taking any of these practices on or do you see it staying conventional versus regenerative i think it's a combination of both little uh, you know smaller farms and ranches becoming you know more connected and involved in establishing that direct um, model to the consumers mm -hmm. but then also i think big ag is going to have to adopt it how they adopt it how soon they adopt it is yet to be seen whether it's mm -hmm. something they move into by choice or by necessity or by an act of force um, but i think there's already principles that big ag is taking a look at you know success at some of these smaller regenerative ranches and starting to adopt i mean some of the suppliers we work with on the force of nature side you could call them you know very sizable operations mm -hmm. I mean, tens of thousands of acres and if it can be done at scale there uh, effectively and efficiently then there's no reason that we can't start to scale this out to even bigger you know industrial mm -hmm. agricultural operations in the u.s and around the world um, things yeah. like the no-till drill are quickly you know picking up steam people are interested in it there are obvious advantages um, ultimately i think regenerative is going to have to progress to a point that in some form or facet and you know there's a whole conversation to be had about subsidies for different crops and mm -hmm. and those types of things but in some form or fashion it's going to have to develop to make financial sense for right. these big companies to move in that direction the no-till drill is a great example of one of the areas where it does make sense yeah because all of a sudden you can go in and you know diesel fuel is a huge cost for big ag um, and if you can do things to even remove one diesel track you know one diesel cycle from your your land a year that's big money yeah i mean it comes down to dollars and cents for people exactly that's the world we live in so if you can upcycle nutrients and you know drill in crops to you know in the off season restore some of that cycle and, and remove a tilling cycle or something then you all of a sudden save significant money mm -hmm. yeah and, and it's doable but like you said it has to be scalable and it is a combination effort and i think we are at that point that turning point that we're going to see that in our lifetime fingers crossed um transition into something good and i think from the consumer standpoint what you all do and educating people and helping people understand is also a huge component to it because without that those are the people who are buying your product or other products like it um because it matters what you're feeding your family like you said you know people really should care but you know sometimes it's a choice of how expensive something is at, at the grocery store and so when people start to prioritize like you said um what they're putting in their bodies and how they're spending that money you know versus the candy bar you know what you're picking up at the end of the day i think yeah. that mentality shift is starting 
Now, one thing I'm still thinking about about Big Ag that's a great example. You know, I was talking to this rancher up in the Panhandle of Texas recently. I think the story is an example of how these big producers are starting to realize things need to change. Mm -hmm. So this gentleman, this ranch had been his family for generations. He grew up on the ranch. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of acres. Mm -hmm. And it's been under conventional management for a long time, uh, conventionally grazing livestock and producing, you know, crops for livestock to eat. And, you know, doing all the conventional things, spraying, tilling, you know, overgrazing at times. Um, and he told a story that when he was little, he remembered that there was a creek on the property that you could have a zip line, uh, you know, zip line over the creek and, and fall in. And, yeah. you know, yeah. classic ranch sure. uh, type of thing you do for fun in the summer. Uh -huh. But over the course of his life, you know, 50 or 60 years, that creek no no longer runs because the soil doesn't hold enough water anymore to have that pool of water on their ranch. And so I think he's now, he's one of our suppliers and, and has a regenerative ranch and has moved that family operation into a regenerative model, one, to, you know, for a profitability standpoint, but two, because he saw in his own lifetime the changes that were happening because of the conventional style of management. Mm -hmm. And I think when you talk to a lot of ranchers and farmers around the country, that's one common thread I've noticed is when you really start to ask them questions like that about specific things on their property, they start to think about the long-term picture. Well, sometimes personal. it's hard. Like you get yeah. year in, year out, and you get in the cycle and you do it and you forget to take that step back and was like, well, what was this like, yeah. you know, 40 years ago? Yeah, it's taking those, separating those years, you know, and, and what you saw and personalizing it. Yeah, people. and then you talk to those guys generational over generation and, you know, hear their grandparents tell stories about what it was when they were there. And then it's really the aha moment. Mm -hmm. They're you like, know. wow, we didn't have that. That didn't even exist. Yeah, and that's when you start to get people to really make a change because it is that kind of slap in the face moment of, wow, we got to we got to figure out how to do something different. Yeah. And I think it's making people proud too. And it's something that, you know, people who are working with the land, it is, a, it's an, it's an act of respect. It's, there's a lot of pride that goes into it, I would say, cause it's a lot of work and, and you want it, what your output is, you want to be proud of that. So I think when you see your other generations that were before you have something that you didn't, you know, you feel that, pressure on your shoulders to make that change or to start going in the other direction mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i mean it's a big deal so i guess you know kind of wrapping it up what do you love most about being a part of rome rants and, and your job with force of nature I think number one just feeling like i'm doing something that has a positive impact you know that fulfillment is something that is just really awesome to have in a career but I can't overstate how much I just enjoy being around the animals mm -hmm. and being around the ranchers and learning from folks that spend their life with these animals and working you know land it's just you learn so much and you never stop learning and it's so fulfilling to spend time and energy and and just get to know these people get to know the animals get to know their you know unique traits and um, yeah, I mean, you could you could pick out some of the bulls and you were talking about their personality traits and a little bit about them. You get to know them. It's pretty cool. Totally. And and it's peaceful. We were sitting out and just watching them, you know, like you said, just watching them graze. It's meditative almost. Absolutely. The sights and sounds and 
just hearing, you know, 160 bison munching on grass and kind of grunting at each other, you know, just sit there in silence listening to that. It is totally almost meditative. Especially we live in a world where we're inundated with sights and sounds that are artificial and man-made and, you know, our brains that aren't truly wired, I think, to handle that overload. Um, and so when you break it down and, and you take that time for peace and quiet, it's it's incredible. So... You know, y'all have such a huge community impact, I think, here. And just even looking at your events page on the website, you know, it seems like there's something happening every other week or, you know, several times a month. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, what y'all have coming up is the processing, the harvesting, you know, whether it's the turkeys or you do have a, a bison harvest coming up too. And so people have the opportunity to come out here and see it firsthand um, and how that looks and, and the respect that you pay towards that animal, animal and then you are going to be going home with some meat. Is um, Can you speak to what that day is like? Yeah, let's talk about a bison harvest because yeah. I think that is, I mean, it's a life-changing experience for a lot of folks. And uh -huh. I think most folks that come to that here are seeing an animal die for the first time. Yeah. So when you show up for a bison harvest, come in early in the morning, usually it's sometime in the fall, fall winter or spring where it's still you know very cool so it'll be cool in the morning uh, if not cold and the animals pre-selected for harvest for various reasons um, and we kind of introduce people to the ranch we give them a brief tour of the ranch we show them what the life of these bison look like we take them to look at the herd we tell them about the management style here on the property we paint a picture of what this animal that they're about to witness you know the end of life cycle on how it lived its entire life and there's respect paid there you know and then the animal is harvested uh, we usually have a professional uh, come out and harvest the animal uh, shot in the head dies immediately uh, in the herd uh, the herd has about three to five minutes then to pay respect to the animal and it's really interesting wow. in that process you know they're, they're herd animals they're very social yeah and you can on you can obviously tell the the position within the herd that that animal was harvested what position that was oh, wow. but how the animals react to it that's you know, incredible sometimes they'll come over and pay respect and it'll kind of be a, a quick mourning process and then they'll move on or sometimes they may not care at all They're like good riddance i didn't <laughs> See, like yeah, you anyways we, yeah he was a jerk <laughs> or when we've har harvested a couple of the more mature bulls there's been a kind of re-establishing of the pecking order that oh, happens wow. immediately with the other bulls it's like they saw weakness they, they all of a sudden you know the macho-ness comes out and they've mm -hmm. got to kind of reassert their position in the herd with the other bulls which is really interesting and so that happens uh we'll then go out open a gate uh the herd will move on as we kind of train them to do when we open a gate they know they're going to greener pasture and so they'll leave that animal behind uh, when that happens and we've safely moved out the herd everyone can come in the community can gather around the animal uh, we eviscerate the animal um, bleed it out and then um, you know those folks have an opportunity to truly pay respect to it you know touch its fur uh, put their hand on it you know kind of connect with it in the field in the field that it lives its life in um you know look at it, the things like its hooves and usually they have all kinds of seeds and stuff in their hooves that they've been trampling around planting in the soil just naturally um, run their fingers through its coat it's just a beautiful experience and once folks have had time to kind of connect over the animal 
uh, we'll bring the tractor out, pick up the animal up and move it over to the processing station. And then as a community, as a, a tribe, if you will, of people at the event, we'll process it together. Mm -hmm. And again, these are people that have never seen an animal die before oh, yeah. for the most part. They've never, obviously never processed an animal. And so we'll, we'll coach and teach and lead that experience. And, you know, at the end of that, people leave with meat that they can take home and, and tell people about this experience that they've just had. And it's... That's life-changing. It truly is. It's so special to be a part of that and just watch them go through that experience and share it with them. And in working in the meat industry, it's it's something I hope I never take for granted. And those experiences tend to keep you granted, uh, grounded in watching people that mm -hmm. don't live this life every day. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons I like the hunting program we have so much out here is we cater to new hunters. So same thing, it's yeah, more it's personal, education. more one-on-one, -on -one, but it's all about connecting with with wildlife and where food comes from and what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I think we, we forget that. We aren't in touch with that. So that's so important. So I guess how many um, pounds of meat do people typically leave with? Oh, I don't know. Um, kind of depends on, we kind of split it up evenly amongst the, the folks at the harvest. And so, you know, enough for a few meals for sure. That's awesome. Do you have any favorite recipes that you like to make with your bison meat? Oh, bison ribeyes. The steaks are just unbelievable yeah. off a regeneratively raised animal. I think the ribeyes are the best kind of meat in the world. The sirloins are probably my second favorite. Um, I love just ground bison, uh -huh. like a bison burger. Um, we actually just started selling to a local chain called Hop Dotty. I oh, encourage everyone. Can we talk? <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Anyone that lives near a Hop Dotty, go check out their bison burgers. and uh, You can taste some Force of Nature and Rome Ranch bison. It's pretty awesome. But... Their burgers are fantastic. Yeah, just bison burgers in general. It's got so much so much more richness of flavor mm -hmm. and depth of flavor. Than yeah, a, so I guess in comparison, you know, um, what, did, what do people typically taste or, or not taste versus beef? Well, just the richness and depth of flavor. And I would say even within beef, comparing a grass-fed animal to a, a conventionally raised grain-finished animal, there's that depth of flavor. Uh, and I think when you go to bison or, or even wild game, that depth of flavor is even deeper. Um, um, depending on the diet of the animal. And so, uh, not with bison, but I would say when you talk about venison, people will use the term gamey. Mm -hmm. But to me, the term gamey is, it's like someone who hasn't ever drank good wine in their life. Yeah. And they just don't understand the depth of flavor and, you know, what they're looking for and tasting notes. I mean, as a society, especially in the U.S., I feel like when it comes to meat, we've kind of lost that taste for for premium, for, for richness, for depth of flavor that grass-fed really offers. Yeah. And I challenge people who, who may have a reaction like that, that something might be gaming, to really stop and think about, well, what is that flavor? Can I investigate that? Mm -hmm. like, that's really interesting. Break it down. Yeah. Because what we've done with grain finishing all this conventional meat in the U.S. is my opinion here but we've kind of created a bland tasting product has watered down in a sense yeah there's no depth of flavor there you know honestly when you taste a you know grain finished product in the u.s a lot of time what you're tasting is the seasoning or the the way it was cooked and not so much the flavor of the meat mm -hmm. right yep so a good steak you shouldn't really have to 
do a whole lot to it. Just a little salt yeah. and pepper, you You're cook good. it right, it's the best thing in the world. Oh yeah, pretty simple. I mean, the same could be said for like a tomato someone grows in their backyard here, like a homegrown tomato versus something that you go pick up. When you take a bite into that and the juice just like, you know, rolls down your cheeks, it's it's incredible. It's so different. So the same can be said for, for me. So um, I guess wrap it up. Anything exciting that you could talk about for the future? Any talks of any other plans that can be known or... Oh, exciting. You know, it's turkey season right now. Yeah. So coming up here in the next couple of weekends, we've got turkey harvest that very similar to the bison harvest, just a lot smaller animal, mm -hmm. uh, but still a really cool connection. That's a really exciting thing to watch people do and, you know, harvest their own turkey. Um, and then have Thanksgiving after that with their friends and family. That's, absolutely. That's huge. From a force of nature perspective, we've got so many new products coming out that I'm super excited about. I mean, within Bison, we're, we're launching a number of new steak cuts. Uh, we're launching breakfast sausages, uh, link sausages, all kinds of cool products. And I'm just really excited for consumers to try those and launch some partnership with great retailers. I mean, we just launched a partnership with HEB and Yay. you know, for them to make a decision to partner with us and really you know, start to understand what regenerative agriculture is and these big players in the industry, they're getting involved and they're, they understand it's important. They don't quite understand it yet, but they're making that decision. Putting that effort out there. They're putting in the effort. They're giving the consumers the choice. Um, and I believe when consumers have that choice and they start to make this connection of where food comes from, it's going to be obvious to them. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Marshall, for sitting out here and having me out on this beautiful fall day. We really couldn't have asked for a better day. Um, and all this talk of of food is making me hungry. <laughs> we need to go get a bison burger. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, we'll see you. Thanks again so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed that conversation with Marshall. It was such a beautiful and peaceful day sitting out by Cave Creek, learning even more about the operations of Rome, force of nature, and regenerative agriculture. I think you could even hear the crickets in the background. Rome always has so many wonderful community events going on. I think later this month, they're actually hosting their first annual What Good Shall I Do conference that brings together ranchers, farmers, researchers, teachers, government conscious consumers, and other interested folks for three days of education, networking, planning, and action around regenerative agriculture. And yes, I definitely did take that word for word from their website. Um, it is sold out, which is a huge testament to the awesome community that they've built. But there are so many other events coming up this summer, like their bison field harvest, their public ranch tour, and even a farm to table feast. That one is one I will definitely be snagging myself a seat to because that sounds like an incredible meal. But really, next time you're grocery shopping at HEB, Whole Foods, or Natural Grocers, I hope, you know, maybe this episode makes you think twice and now you'll be on the lookout for their products because they really are game changers. So as always, stay tuned, stay safe, and stay wild, y'all.